Welcome to Untying Knots, Minds and Souls Untethered with Perry Clark. This program looks at mental health from unique perspectives and shows you how to manage your life by finding the knots that help you and stay away from the ones that could be a disadvantage. Now, here is your host, Perry Clark. Welcome, everyone, back to Untying Knots, Minds and Souls Untethered. So we're getting to the end of October here, and you're probably going to hear this probably towards the end of November, beginning of December. Uh, and I want to get started with the classic disclaimer that this is not a does not sit as a substitute for a therapeutic relationship or counseling. I do recommend that you find a therapist in your area who can work on your unique issues and get you through that. Now, today's podcast, we're going to be talking about a subject that uh, for many of us that are people of color dealing with a very different world we live in is that area of neurodiversity. And that area of neurodiversity also overlaps into the gaming and the geek and the blurred area. Uh, and so today's guest is going to talk a bit more about that as well as what it means to be an uh, AAPI individual in this world and working in this field. So we're going to be talking today with Bumake Suram. I may have mispronounced that name, but I tried it just beforehand, but uh, we're generally referred to as Boomy or Booney. And so let me just get to a little about who Booney is. So Booney is a master's of arts and has a master's of art in therapy informed life counts, life coaching and received their degree in master's of psychology from the Chicago school of professional psychology. She works with a focus on, sorry, Coaching using archetypes and understanding the cognitive differences of wiring, specifically with highly sensitive people, creative, and gamers. She believes in knowledge and guidance and compassion leads to insights, individual acceptance, and empowering to change. Boomi is a former preschool teacher, a paraprofessional in special education, outreach counselor, as well as a uh, creative arts student. And she has a definite passion for game playing and is currently playing Fortnite, Animal Crossing, and Fire Emblem Three Houses, and apparently is a member of Team Felix. So welcome, Boonie, to Untying Knots, Minds and Souls, Untethered. Thank you so much for having me. I just want to correct pronunciation, so anyone else who wants to pronounce mm-hmm. my name, um, Buntarika Sripam. Thank you. And thank you for being on here. We're both members of a uh, Facebook group, group called Geek Therapy. So we're all therapists that have a very much a focus on combining our interest in the geek and geekdom into what we do as therapists. So how did you find yourself in this field? Well, um, I've loved video games, comics, superhero culture for a really long time. And when I was studying psychology, I realized that, you know, quite easily the hero's journey could apply Mm -hmm. to the way we see ourselves, the way we heal. And yet uh, part of me also was like representation is kind of important. Mm-hmm. Um, so I'm a darker skinned South Asian, Southeast Asian person. And I didn't realize that the X-Men Jubilee was Asian because um, mm. my skin color didn't match. Mm-hmm. And I just didn't make register. So I, I adopted pairing with Storm because... Mm-hmm. She looked like me, and I felt like the only person on the X-Men that could resonate with was like that. And I know other mm-hmm. people could feel like when they're growing up, you know, you can identify with any person. It doesn't matter mm-hmm. what their skin color is. But somehow, the earlier message that I had about how I looked, it mm-hmm. really impacted me. And I felt like the people I saw on TV, even on Thai TV shows, I'm mm-hmm. Thai, Thai Chinese, um, I just couldn't identify with them. And the way people treated me implicitly... Mm-hmm. I felt it even as a kid. Mm-hmm. Kid, I felt the difference between how they treated fair-skinned Asians compared to how they treated me. So, um, it just kind of permeated how I sought connection and identity through geek culture, mm-hmm. especially comics. I, I love mm-hmm. that comics had this depth of story, mm-hmm. ability to relate to the good, bad, the grayness of characters, and that's how I tended to see people in general. And so when I went to my psych program, um, I, when I, you learn about all the different modalities, like, oh, how are you going to conceptualize using this modality? And I'm thinking, 
there's always a gap. There's something missing here. You know, it's not as fluid and organic as a human being. There's something mm-hmm. missing here. And so I started incorporating talking about video games mm-hmm. and archetypes. Mm-hmm. And it was a very basic conceptualization. To me, I thought about how, well, if you're a tank compared to a healer, Mm-hmm. Your, your profiles are very different. Like mm-hmm. the way you interact with people, the perceptions of the world, your role in life, the role in the groups that you're in are totally different. If you decide to be a tank, you're a little bit more of like, I'll track everybody. I make sure everybody's on point. I'm basically the leader. And there's mm-hmm. only one of me, you know, mm-hmm. like I'll take all the damage mm-hmm. and um, I will sacrifice myself for the good of other people. Mm-hmm. So like there's this balance of traits that I see, and that's the psychology of of being in certain realms of games and culture that I started seeing, and I I love that ability and yet um, ability to see and yet um, I know that there was something lacking and so I just kept on exploring more to see if other people wrote about it, exploring different systems of archetypes and psychology to kind of pair it with geek culture. And I know a lot of people have done that now. Many mm-hmm. many practitioners have paired archetypes in the hero's journey with different aspects of geek culture. And so that's how I started. I use uh, X-Men mm-hmm. and comics and video games to really escape in a world where I felt like I didn't fit in. I used to disappear a lot um, for my own reasons, for, I guess, neurodiverse reasons. I didn't have mm-hmm. the label yet mm-hmm. until uh, I think three, four years ago, until I started exploring um, autism. Mm-hmm. But, but first, uh, I explored the female representation of ADHD because I saw that popping up in articles all the time. Mm-hmm. And that was like curious to me because like I check off every single box. Um, and yet something again was off because there's a cultural component of being a collectivist person um, and not having representation in the content that's being created. So there's always been an iffy label. Mm-hmm. Or something that it was difficult to identify with and take ownership of because, again, the, the representation wasn't there. And so there's this imposter syndrome that is lingering a little bit, but not as much as before. Mm-hmm. So that's kind of like a quick synopsis of where I am or how I came to be here. Gotcha. And I'm, I'm Team Storm as well. Ah! <laughs> Yay. Oh, yeah. She was the first time I read the X-Men. And I saw her, this was during the middle, the first comic book I got was sort of the middle of the uh, Phoenix saga. Before ah, she, so before, good. <laughs> and it was the one where they were dealing with the Hellfire Club. So it's like, oh, yes, the storm was the one I, I linked in, onto and just held onto. But very much, I, I identify so much with what also your story being is like, okay, I linked with her. It's the only female character, the only black character that was there in the comic books, much like... Um, in many ways, I have to sadly say, when I was watching Star Trek, the original Voyage, while I didn't immediately link up with Uhura, I definitely recognized her there. I was much more of a Spock. <laughs> but still keeping with that standpoint of a Black character I connected to, I was also a fan of watching all the syndicated reruns of Mission Impossible. And so as I'm watching that series, it's like, wait a minute, the only character that stayed from the beginning to the end of the series was Barney, the Black Engineer. And so that's where I found that connection of identifying, at least with a black male character, mm-hmm. here, this brilliant mechanical engineer. Right. Who's part of this covert operations team. But all of that at that same time, I'm also having my own issues with my educational system. And they get tests. I get tested as a uh, kid in elementary. And it's like, oh, yeah, there's something there. They couldn't tell what it was. Oh, and so I've basically kept going, you know, special educational classes just to deal with these things. And I managed to just finally get through the uh, test of the uh, requirements at the time to graduate from high school. And so I get into college and when it's, I'm in a remedial English class and the teacher says, go get, you need to go back in for testing. And so I go back in for testing and they say, well, now we can say that you've got difficulties with uh, grammar, me- grammar, grammar and punctuation mechanics, as oh. well as high level math concepts. But that's, again, the closest they can give me an answer mm-hmm. of what this is. And so there's about 10 years that I didn't want to do. I avoided jobs like what we do in therapy or in office because of that dyslexia, the, what was the dyslexia at the time. It wasn't until after I challenged myself and started going to school for our 
therapy world. And then where I was doing my internship, I got myself retested and they could finally say, oh, you're in the uh, dyslexia umbrella. Oh my gosh. How validating. Yeah. But that's pretty much my entire life of dealing with this looming learning disability that I never had a name for. And then as the challenge came up to try and pass my licensing exam, all the accommodations that had been designed had been designed for an academic world as opposed to a right uh, for a reasoning test, which is what our licensing exam is. And so I had to go back in to have them review that and write up new accommodations for it. Oh, wow. And at that point, the person I was talking to said, oh, well, you can get, tra- get training to help with this. And it's like, what? Now, at this point, I'm about 43 at this point in my time. And they tell, I come to find out the organization they I got suggested to had been in business for 30 years. Oh, my gosh. Right, right. And my mother had advocated many times for me, but no one had ever told her about mm-hmm. this mm-hmm. organization. And I, with the help of friends, spent 60 hours going to that group so that I could pass my licensing exam. Hmm. And I was livid when I found out. And... Despite, again, my mother's advocating sword, the only thing that came back to was racism, as far as I could see. Right. And whether it's the female ADHD and then throwing in the, your identity or mine as a black man, when we're looking at things like neurodiversity, the face of it is typically white. Mm-hmm. Right. And so where do those of us who, thankfully, we're, we're essentially high-functioning enough to be able to function in society, but even for those who don't, we're struggling with this idea that the face of autism, the face of any type of neurodiversity and getting all that extra money goes to white people. Mm-hmm. Right. Gosh, so I just had a flashback of being in elementary school. So I'm an English language learner mm-hmm. and had my own experiences because of that. So I'll share, um, you know, I, I like that I can disclose a little bit more personal stories here. Mm-hmm. Um, my boundary is a little bit more fluid because I've worked through a lot of stuff. So um, when I was in preschool, I have a twin brother. We didn't mm-hmm. speak English. Mm-hmm. They separated us and told us English only. And at that point, I don't know English. <laughs> mm-hmm. um, I I checked out. I realized, okay, um, this world is not for me. They're not mm-hmm. here to support me. I walked around by myself. I played by mm-hmm. myself. Mm-hmm. And we had our own attachment issues because of that for a long time. Mm-hmm. And um, as I'm learning more English, we're taking all these standardized tests and I get placed in the gifted program and yet English is still not my best skill. Mm-hmm. So I'm still lagging behind. And I think this is one thing that isn't only an assumption because I'm Asian. Mm-hmm. They assumed, oh, she's excelling academically. We don't have to touch her in terms of any type of external support. Mm. But what they didn't see was I hid between the buildings in school. I was having sensory overwhelm and very afraid of social interaction. Mm -hmm. And so my brother used to go between the buildings to find me and ask me where I was, ask me Mm -hmm. how I'm doing. Mm -hmm. Some of the classmates would follow me, ask Mm -hmm. me if I'm okay. And I I hid between the buildings for about three years straight. Mm -hmm. And I every now and then a kind student would come talk to me and bring me out, try to help me socialize, and yet. I look back now knowing I still don't understand concepts of socialization. It does not Mm -hmm. click to me. I don't understand why these rules exist and they don't make sense. Mm -hmm. Um, There's a lot of logical things that don't make sense with human interaction. We do things that are just nonsensical, yet we do them anyways. And so um, that that cultural component of if an Asian student is performing well academically, it still stays with me, you know, And so the academic system and cognitive differences for different learners has been a huge part of my my passions for a really long time. And so when I did go into internships at elementary schools or working in the college systems, again and again, the theme that came out to me was there's all these students who have layers of obstacles to fight for. We -hmm. have resources, and yet only some people get the resources. We have mm-hmm. access to information, but only some people get the information. Mm-hmm. Um, some kids are being forced into certain programs, and then they're left, again, what you call to suffer between the cracks they fall, right? Exactly. So exactly. It's, it's just been a huge heartbreak to see again and again that it happens. And so empowering communities with, in terms of like 
layers of systemic laws and policies that have existed for hundreds of years. And again, we mm-hmm. talk about critical race theory, right? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And why things have happened to be the way they are. It affects our students now. And yet people keep saying that whole bootstraps mentality. It's painful to hear like mm-hmm. you're part of my community and yet you don't want to honor a child because they're either not from your community or you don't think it matters that we educate and nurture with safety all the mm-hmm. children that are within our community because you don't think like distance wires or some kind of redlining that you grew up with that they don't deserve the same kind of support. So it um, it becomes a really fiery subject for me. And I know that I come off as gentle most of the time and yet inside I'm burning. Mm-hmm. <laughs> inside oh. <it's- laughs> yeah, I understand that rage all too well. That's kind of like I felt when I heard this, like, wait, there's a training program for the last... 30 years I could have been in That's right. that the 10 years that I spent between getting my bachelor's to getting my master's, I could have actually been living in a much having more fulfillment. Mm-hmm. And right. this is part of one of the elements of the prison to uh, school to prison pipeline that yes. we deal with. It's yes. just, it, yeah, there's that aspect of, yeah. Wouldn't happy to see the, some, some part of the world burn <laughs> because of it. And just like, but, yeah, that that struggle of just being there and dealing with that continual aspect of wait, I could be more involved and be part of this is part of these things and have all of these chances, mm-hmm. but I because you won't recognize this difference, right? Ah, hmm. you take a second there. Yeah. Yeah. And uh, I don't know if you've watched the, the the show Discovery, Star Trek Discovery. No. So, and spoilers for those who haven't watched it. In the, um, I believe it's the second season, they introduce that Spock, because of his human heritage, is also dyslexic. Oh. So he had a lot of difficulty fitting into Vulcan society, not just because he's human, but he's also got essentially a learning disability. Wow. Which even in that particular moment when it was revealed, it made me like, there's even more reason why I connected with Spock Mm -hmm. growing Mm -hmm. up as opposed to Hohora, which I connected with her more later in life. But at that particular point, that sense of where I grew up, I was the only, oftentimes only black kid in my classes. So I was already standing out and I was large for my age, Mm -hmm. which is also where the worlds of fantasy and science fiction and gaming became a more of a place I could find place in. Yes. Despite some of the other issues that would lie there versus, you know, everyone wants me to either play football or kind of play basketball. And it's like, my coordination is not there for those things. <laughs> no, thank you. <laughs> yeah. I'm not having fun. You can go do something else with the sports ball. Mm-hmm. Oh my gosh. So like that automatically makes me think of how, we neurodivergent people, we mask so much that we want to please other people that we live lives for other people. We're not even living our own lives. So we have to escape mm-hmm. as much as we can to kind of like reset. Like, this is where I'm accepted. This is where I'm loved. This is where the things that I want to think about and do that bring me joy can actually be honored. And it's so hard to transition back and forth because the world around us doesn't suit us and yet we're mm-hmm. constantly being told to do something that is not natural it's just so sad to think about it and you know mm-hmm. especially as adults like i know we're powerless as children to do that thing that but then when we're older i have a sense of mourning that i work through every now and then mm-hmm. like, damn mm-hmm. i did so much for other people mm-hmm. like I, I lost my identity and i for a while didn't know who i was mm-hmm. so sad to think about that mm-hmm. And like you said, the imposter syndrome. Yeah, there's days, there's sometimes where, even as we're doing this work, I have those moments like, do I can't believe I'm here doing this, or just even if it's not doing the work, it's like sitting here trying to do the budgeting for my business, my practice is like, I can't believe I'm sitting here doing this, that this mm-hmm. is not something that I either expected or saw myself doing, let alone I'm doing it. Mm-hmm. And it just, and so at times strange and yeah i have those imposter moments as well and yet and yet we here we are Mm -hmm. so like the most healing work that i've been doing so here's the thing it's kind of complicated and 
you know, it's like I, I used to be in larger therapist groups mm-hmm. to, to network and refer and things like that. So there was this huge wave. I think it was maybe five, six years ago where all of a sudden race was a big deal. And mm-hmm. everyone started arguing. All these therapists started fighting each other about who's being racist, who's not being racist, mm-hmm. who's not honoring intersectionality. And mm-hmm. people are having their feelings hurt because they're like, well, I don't have privilege. I think everyone is who they are and I don't see color. And like, so for me, like, <laughs> like uh, you should see color because uh, people judge us and uh, treat us a certain way. And you're mm-hmm. just honoring that potential experience. Mm-hmm. Anyways, mm-hmm. so like, when that happened, I started having conversations and seeing who would comment and mm-hmm. what people would say. And then I was mm-hmm. like, okay, this is an ally who's actually doing something. I'm seeing this is performative allyship. Mm-hmm. I'm seeing this is someone who's actually doing the work and not asking for our own emotional labor. Like, so all mm-hmm. these new language and terminology started popping up. And then I was like, okay, I want to speak on this because we need to see more diversity, inclusion. And other people, like I know the the layers of being a collectivist person, we don't speak up. Mm-hmm. We don't want to um, rustle the waters too much. I get that. We honor uh, a, a sense of cohesiveness and not to stand out because it's painful and you will get hit. You will get chopped down. Mm-hmm. So I'm willing to do that. That's okay. You know, um, a lot of people, I think we value hybridity and, and evolution. That's just mm-hmm. where I think things should go. So when I started doing this work and speaking at different conferences, panels, having interviews with people about representation and the nuances of the Asian American experience and colorism for mm-hmm. me as a uh, you know, uh, Southeast Asian person, it, it really started helping me heal my younger self. Mm-hmm. I, I didn't know it was so painful and impactful until I started having conversations with people who were just like, you know what? Yes same experiences i just never had the language for it but you're Mm -hmm. giving me the language because you're trying to share something that is so visceral and painful like it never goes away so that's why when i think about education and neurodivergence when people say oh you're an adult now you just have to like do what you have to do to survive i'm like no um are your parents divorced did you have a rocky childhood uh obviously that stuff still affects you now so Mm -hmm. you're saying that all the policy of colonialism uh, it doesn't affect anybody now. Like, you, like that logic doesn't make sense to me. So, like, mm-hmm. I just repair, comparisons help people think differently. So that is something that, like, okay, so this does matter because a lot of people have so much generational work to undo. And mm-hmm. in a layer of that, if you're neurodivergent, we have social policy and education policies that have not helped us. Mm-hmm. And the mm-hmm. layers of how people see us in terms of race. If you're the model minority and you have learning differences, they're like, that doesn't compute. Like, but you're mm-hmm. Asian, you're supposed to be smart. Like, so you don't get any help? Like, that mm-hmm. sucks. Mm-hmm. And same thing also even goes into gender and sex, like in the standpoint of the idea that a man can be raped. Oh, or that, that, or that sexual abuse can't happen to men. It's like, no, it can. Yes. Just as equally. Mm-hmm. And that just becomes as they continue these glaring things we're not looking at. And as it is, and because we're going to segue into sorry, talking about gaming and so forth on our medias that we, the games we play, the stories that in fan uh, there, it's not surprising one, like you said, that we find characters there that we can connect with that we can't connect in our normal lives. And yet it also becomes a place that we want to escape. But even as we're seeing so much more now, there is definitely places where we need improvement in the games and in the stories that are being told. Hmm. So when you're working with your, your neurodiverse people that are also BIPOC and we start talking about some of the games and the stories that are going on, what comes, what comes up in that work? Oh, gosh. So I'm actually, I lurk a lot too on Twitch. Mm-hmm. So mm-hmm. when COVID started, I was pretty isolated, even though I enjoy being alone. Um, it was mm-hmm. just like on another level. So I started ex- exploring Twitch, watching streamers, and the people that accepted me were the Black streamers mm-hmm. and the Polynesian streamers because mm-hmm. I look like them. They're like, she's one of us. We'll just take mm-hmm. her in. Mm-hmm. And it was just amazing that when they saw that uh, I am someone who's of a marginalized community, I am speaking on mental health, I'm gaming, like, hey, let's just, we need to protect our own. So like that collectivism that mm-hmm. comes from marginalized groups, like I love that feeling. And Mm -hmm. so when we played or talked about different things, I think about the 
the roles that we have, like I mentioned before, the roles that we have, the roles that are either imposed on us Mm -hmm. or the roles that we want to explore on our own. Mm -hmm. So when I started gaming, um, and in terms of sensitive people too, I think about reclaiming a voice, Mm -hmm. reclaiming a presence, because when you're different, um, you either are ignored or targeted for something. Like Mm -hmm. you are become the scapegoat for Mm -hmm. society's anger, for what's going wrong. Um, You don't get a right to speak your truth. And so video games for me is about the archetypes that you identify with that help you reclaim power. Mm -hmm. And so those of the sensitive people, most of the time healers, Mm -hmm. a lot of healers. Mm -hmm. And so I'll always challenge them to, okay, I love that you're a healer. I love that you're a helper. That's innate. It it Mm -hmm. cultivates this... um, compassion you have for humanity. Wonderful. Mm -hmm. And yet you're here with me talking about how society has beaten you down because Mm -hmm. of your differences. So let's find a way to empower you. Find an archetype or a role that's completely different that you wouldn't even think of doing. Mm -hmm. So for me, I tried playing a rogue and a rogue is a pretty badass character. I used to play World of Warcraft all the time. Mm -hmm. And I would pick uh, my first character is Druid. I love hybrid characters, very versatile. Mm -hmm. And then I decided, you know what? I'll play a rogue because rogues are stabby stab. They disappear. <laughs> they mm-hmm. pickpocket. Mm-hmm. It questions a lot of things about your identity. Would I even think about stabbing people? Mm-hmm. Would I think about stealing? You know? mm-hmm. um, would I think about not needing the attention to be healed from the healer? Can I mm-hmm. do that? Mm-hmm. Am I okay not having 100% health on my health bar all the time? You know, mm-hmm. All these things happen because when you're a perfectionist, a lot of Sensitive people are perfectionists, have high need to be perfect. Your health bar matters. And sometimes mm-hmm. when I remember thinking about my younger self, I think about I need to have 100% mana, 100% health all the time. And that would debilitate me from doing action. Mm-hmm. So trying on a new hat, trying on this different archetypal role of a rogue or a damage class really put me out of my comfort zone. So that's what I would do with the, the sensitive people, the ones that would really stick to a certain archetype. Like, let's try something different because we have an archetypal makeup that's very vast. Mm -hmm. We have more than one archetype. We have more than four archetypes, and yet we think Mm -hmm. we're only one. And that's the beauty of archetypes. We have this fluidity to embody all of them. And yet we're socialized and given attention for one Mm -hmm. archetype that we do. Mm -hmm. So that's helping people grow personally, personal development. Let's Mm -hmm. find more archetypes to nurture, find that Mm -hmm. voice. And beat up a couple people on the internet. You know? <laughs> Let's blow things up too. So like, it's a little bit of everything. <laughs> yeah, when I've played World of Warcraft, I've played a rogue. I've also played a uh, paladin. Nice. Um, I think it was a caster once. I usually play more D and D, and my uh, go-to there is usually either a caster or uh, a rogue. <laughs> nice. Yeah, I, I played healer for so long because everyone needs a pocket healer. They're like. Mm-hmm. Nobody wants to heal, Booney. Come on, log on. I'm like, okay, I'll do it because I wanted to be liked. So I'll be everyone's mm-hmm. healer. Mm-hmm. And then I started playing for myself. And that's mm-hmm. huge because, again, what you do in the game can be translated into the outside world. Mm-hmm. When you're busy playing the, a role of people pleaser, mm-hmm. playing the characters that they want you to play, it's like, mm-hmm. oh, I have a boundary. I want to play for myself. You find another healer. I want to play something else. I want to be a mage. Let me, mm-hmm. let me blow things up with fire or ice, you know, like, let me do that. And so mm-hmm. there's so many different ways to use gaming as a way to dig into the way your cognition is, your intentions, mm-hmm. your, mm-hmm. your inherited roles, and then unlearning some of that. Because again, it's not all or nothing. The mm-hmm. roles that people give you are a gift. Mm-hmm. You to learn what you're really good at, but also you get to question now, this is not my only role that I have to mm-hmm. offer. Which brings us to our intersectionality. And I just listening to what you're saying about playing the pocket healer versus I want to go play a mage has kind of also made me think about your story about who's coaxing you out from between the buildings mm-hmm. versus you wanting to walk out from between the buildings. Right, right. Now, to play the pocket healer, they're coaxing you out of the building. For you to play a mage is you stepping out and look at me. Mm-hmm. That's right. I love that comparison. Mm-hmm. Thank you. You're welcome. So I think that's a good place for us to take a break. 
So we're going to be talking more here with Booney after we come back from our, our commercial break. So stay tuned here on un- my, <laughs> here on Untying Knots, Minds and Souls and Tether. Our lives and the world around us can get messy and frustrating. Untangle and Grow Counseling's focus is to untangle that mess and make sense of it so you have a good foundation to build and grow from. Visit us on the web at untangleandgrowcounseling.com. Perry Clark offers individual psychotherapy, couples and family therapy, and adolescence therapy from a variety of coping materials and resources. Visit untangleandgrowcounseling.com for more information. It's your world. Motivate. Change. Succeed. VoiceAmericaEmpowerment.com You are listening to Untying Knots, Minds and Souls Untethered. If you have a question or comment about our podcast, send an email to pclark at untyingknotspodcast.com. That's pclark at untyingknotspodcast.com. And now, back to the program. Welcome back, everyone, to Untying Knots, Minds and Souls Untethered. So I'm here talking with Booney. I'm not going to try and pronounce your name again because I don't want to butcher it again. Um, and we are talking about many topics here about neurodiversity, gaming, uh, being a person of color, dealing with a world that's not exactly always in favor of us. So welcome back, Booney. And I know we just had this lovely discussion about the gaming and, uh, and the identity roles we play there. I'm just kind of curious, and what do you also do when you're dealing with this and the work with your clients talking about the gaming and the archetypes that have come up? Sure. So the gaming part is just a really sliver of the work that we do. Most of the time, I'm just talking to my clients and we don't really play that much. Um, Mm -hmm. Maybe with my younger clients, it's like parallel play, Mm -hmm. something as we talk about your goals and motivations. But with my adults, we really dig into the archetypal journey of people. So I incorporate Enneagram. It's also a typology system. Mm-hmm. And then different archetypes with your authenticity. Mm-hmm. Uh, understanding where, again, is this an authentic role or is it a mask auth- archetype that I've adopted? And so it's a lot of this challenging of socialization. And mm-hmm. if you are different, most of the time, you've absorbed a layer of socialization that's not yours. That's, I think that's something most of us do, neurotypical people, of course, yes. Um, but on the neurodivergent level, it's extreme. Mm-hmm. On the BIPOC level, it's extreme. So there's mm-hmm. like this compounding of living for other people and not knowing what your voice is. So I do a lot of work on like reclaiming that voice. And so... Um, I layer it with chakra chakra work. It's like, mm-hmm. you know, the, the the third chakra is your voice. It's really attuned to your identity. And for someone who grew up being quiet, um, it's a physical and literal reclaiming of my voice by learning how to speak. Mm-hmm. Um, a lot of sensitive people either blow up because of the tantrums, the overwhelm, uh, because they haven't had the ability to have their story honored. Mm-hmm. Um, most of the time, it's dismissed. You're being told that you're being dramatic. It's not that big of a deal. The sensory overwhelm, maybe we don't have the language for being having sensory overwhelm. Maybe we actually internalize and believe that we're, we are being dramatic. Yeah, you know, my mom told me or my boyfriend mm-hmm. or my husband, you know, like people tell us that we are and then we say, okay, that's the label they gave me. That must mm-hmm. be true because they love me. Mm-hmm. And yet this whole part of being misunderstood is a layer that most of my clients come in with. Like mm-hmm. I haven't had the ability to identify who I am on my terms. So mm-hmm. we have to pick it apart. So what mm-hmm. I do with my clients is I talk about the history of feeling othered, um, mm-hmm. however they define that, mm-hmm. um, the identity that they have thought they have 
mm-hmm. based on how other people have treated them. Mm-hmm. And then picking apart, it's like Marie Kondo. I'm Marie Kondo, the people's personalities. Like, which part of it is true? Which part of it brings joy? Mm-hmm. And which part of it is we're going to eat because we don't need that? Mm-hmm. So it's a lot of potential, you know, indirect grief work. You have to mm-hmm. mourn the loss of a personality that you thought you were. Mm-hmm. You have to mourn the loss and thank an archetype for helping you survive. Mm-hmm. And then you have to figure out, okay, now that we're talking, the archetypes are listening. Mm-hmm. We got archetypes up the butt, you know, mm-hmm. in, our, in our mind, in our body, in our psyche. Which archetype is listening now? Mm-hmm. Which archetype do you need to empower? And do we need to level it up? Like, mm-hmm. now you got to gain XP, but you're, now you're starting as a baby. Mm-hmm. You're level one. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So it's all the game metaphors that help people understand and give them permission to fail. Because again, you're starting all over. Mm-hmm. You're starting the game again, but with a different character. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Okay. And if we, because as you said, talked about the fact that like some people think about there's only there's four archetypes, but you're only one of them. It's like no. In reality, you go through different phases. I mean, mm-hmm. I just think about that standpoint. Is like every, whenever like when we're talking about the myth of King Arthur, or even Lord of the Rings, and we're looking at Gandalf, yes. we're already seeing essentially the old man. Yes. So Merlin or Gandalf had a young man stage. Yes. They had a childhood stage. What were those like that yes. ultimately led to the elder wizard with all this power? Yes. What were exactly. the life choices that they made? Yes. Yes. So it's a very organic, systemic, huge systemic type of picture that mm-hmm. I hope to paint for every person that I work with. And, you know, um, you know, teen and up, I can be more descriptive with the archetypes. Mm-hmm. And younger, we just be, be very basic with like, this is how you want to feel more empowered and speak up and learn new strategies like for whatever goals you have, short-term, long-term. And I work with the parents. So if they're younger, they are the more parent interaction I have. And then with mm-hmm. emerging adults, it's a lot of teaching the parents to let go because they're going through a different archetypal phase too. Like you were the parent of a young child, and mm-hmm. now you have to, to transition as your child is transitioning to an adulthood too. So mm-hmm. if they're open to it, I love talking about archetypes with them as well. Like, okay, you got to let go. They have to learn to fail with safety. That's a term I use all, often. Like, they have the opportunity to fail with safety now. Would you like them to fail later on in life? Let's give them the chance now where they can come to you. They can really practice because, okay, they're gamers. We game a lot or we obsess with books and reading and learning mm-hmm. knowledge that isn't always applicable because there's this um, disconnect between uh, twice exceptionally gifted when you're mm-hmm. gifted and you have asynchronous things, so you have a learning disability, autistic, something like that, um, people have the assumption, you're smart, why aren't you successful? You're mm-hmm. smart, why can't you put a calendar together? So that's the part that is very painful to see. And again, if your brain is different, we might just need rote practice again and again and again, but it has to come from compassion and safety and forgiveness of being different. The world is not meant for us, so that means the rules are not for us, which Mm -hmm. means we have to redefine new rules, learn new strategies, and again, it's harder, which means we have to practice at least like 100 times more than most people, which kind of sucks. I mean, it it sucks. It doesn't kind of suck. It sucks. Yet, once you accept that the world is not made for you, you have more permission to just do it. Mm -hmm. You're not defending yourself or like, this is who I am. Mm -hmm. You're not like, please see me. Like The the validation Mm -hmm. is already there. So instead of chasing validation from the external, you have mm-hmm. cultivated inside. Like, okay, I accept myself now. I understand that I am different. My cognitive differences, my archetypal makeup. Now it's time to grow. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And segueing this into the API identity, mm-hmm. which uh, means and if Asian uh, Pacific Islander, I'm forgetting what the other A is. You know, I think it's just Asian American Pacific okay. Island. Yeah, because I always thought it was just those those you know, Asian American. Uh, that may be what the other A is the American component. So uh, API identity in that standpoint with the gaming and the neurodiversity. What has been your experience there? So there's a lot of shame. The number one thing that I think stops Asian Americans from understanding differences or accepting differences is mm-hmm. shame, period. Mm-hmm. Once you 
well, and also layered with acculturation and how tradi- traditional a family system is, mm-hmm. um, that will correlate with how I see a family or individual accept differences and be able, able to work through shame to become mm-hmm. who they are. Mm-hmm. Um, that pressure to conform is powerful. And I know other people who listen will say, well, we all have pressure to conform. Like, it's hard to explain unless you're in the system. Because if you see the system itself, like I'm talking about Bowen family systems, family systems psychology, when you're in an Asian family system, collectivist family system, and you see the interdependence that goes on, and you're not mm-hmm. from it, if you're super individualist, there's this perception that I read about while going in, in col- uh, the grad program was it could be perceived as enmeshed. And that was the part where I felt, felt defensive. I felt like there's a misunderstanding here. Yeah, we may um, honor our elders more. We may feel a need to stay home and when, when we're deep into our 30s. And that's mm-hmm. like not a bad thing. Like mm-hmm. the family may nurture you and quote unquote baby you a little bit more. And yet they're very hard on you for financial academic success. Like they don't mm-hmm. accept like the, the tiger mom stereotype. Mm-hmm. Like you receive no love. So like the outside, the opposite extreme of it is like, there's no physical, like uh, emotional support. It's more of like this expectation to succeed. And growing up, my parents never said they loved me. Um, my mom has never said it. I'm 39 and she's never said it. And I used to say it as a self-deprecating way. As mm-hmm. I was going through psychology, I was like healing through my own family of origin things and like joking mm-hmm. about it. Cause like, how else are you going to joke about? Like your mom never said she loved you. Mm-hmm. And then I, I, after, let's see, like the first two years I realized she has this layer of trauma that she has to work through herself. She mm-hmm. immigrated here, not by choice. Mm-hmm. You know, she helped care for six siblings as the oldest daughter because of that burden that you carry as the elder sibling, mm-hmm. eldest parent, whatever. It's like a hierarchy of age. So mm-hmm. that burden, you don't even get to question. You just take mm-hmm. the responsibility and you do it. And so the reframe really helped me understand, like, I'm a hybrid. Mm-hmm. I grew up here. I was born here. And it is a struggle every now and then to honor where I come from and to honor the individualist ways that help us feel like we could be whatever we want. Mm-hmm. And so there's this unique balance that every single collectivist person has to do, whether you're first generation born or you come because of war or crisis, it's, it's a struggle because the greater culture imposes this sense of individuality so strongly. Like you're not your own person. You're not considered a successful adult unless you're on your own, unless you launch by your own house, you separate mm-hmm. from your parents. And for co- collectivist people who honor family, that's just not a possibility for me. It's not an option. You know, if an older person needs help, I drop everything for them and I honor them because of mm-hmm. what they've done to contribute to our family system. It's a legacy, mm-hmm. you know? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And I think that's a disconnect that actually I mentioned. Um, so Lorraine Garrison and I, we talked at CASPCon. Mm-hmm. A couple of weeks ago, it's the California School Psychologist Convention. We talked about supporting the um, emotional needs of the BIPOC community. Mm-hmm. And the one thing I did mention was like, if you come from a c- culture that values individuality, you really lose the beauty of interconnectedness for a community that may not bloodwise be yours. Like, mm-hmm. because all, in your neighborhood, the schools that you, you serve, the, the people that you serve, I consider them all family. And that makes it a more intimate relationship where trust can be built that I actually believe in your growth and healing because that benefits me too. You're part of me. So it's just, it's a different perspective to think that individually we're all separate with the fight for resources. When mm-hmm. I think that, no, we're all together. We live on mm-hmm. one planet. Mm-hmm. We should honor one another and care for one another. It's a different, mm-hmm. different view of the world. Very much so. And uh, that, and we're also going to have Lorraine on as well to talk and, um, because the thought as you're describing that comes to mind is that going back to what you said about wow or D and D you can't do those stories really alone. Yes. Yes. You always have to have the other characters, the other skill sets as part of it. You're in to be here in the Western 
European world, you're always looking for who you for your, for your party. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So with that said, why don't we also transition to our last segment, which is myths and realities? And I think we you hit on a number of the topics tied to that, especially the one about shame. Yeah. So what are you feeling is some of the myths and realities that come around therapy that we want to dispel and bring into the realities so people are really understanding what they're asking for? Sure. So when I think about therapy, the number one thing about it is like we're stopping generational mm-hmm. patterns. Mm-hmm. Like we are not disconnected from the things that happened before us ever. Mm-hmm. We think we are like because you're chrono- chronologically a certain age or financially you meet a certain criteria. I think that I will challenge people to say, no, you're always connected, whether you think so or not. Like people have this argument online where they think spanking is okay. I'm against spanking. I don't really um, argue about most things or say like you're wrong, but you're wrong about spanking. (laughs) Mm -hmm. It is abuse. It damages the neural wiring of children. It makes them hypervigilant. It makes them hide who they are because they will fear um, punishment instead of, instead of, uh, you know, collectively raising and disciplining a child. So there's a clear difference to me between punishment and discipline. So mm-hmm. that's just a side rant like for me, child development. Zero to five is a big thing for me. Mm-hmm. Anyways, uh, literacy. I'll just throw that out. Literacy is a big thing. What was the question? So I got excited. <laughs> <laughs> enthusiasm, enthusiasm. Uh, but we're talking about the myths and realities of when it comes okay. to mental health. Yes. And I know we're talking about shame and yes. Okay. Slide into it. So my my initial thoughts related to therapy and mental health is that everyone needs a little check in. Like mm-hmm. I'm sure people have already said that physical health, mental health, same thing. You go for mm-hmm. your like yearly. It should be. Um, I will say that because of systemic barriers, insurance, money, there is a lot mm-hmm. of uh, things that people can't access to. So in terms of therapy, it's not the only way to get help. Mental mm-hmm. health can be in terms of a tiered approach, which is why I think community mental health community support is such an important thing that we should invest in our communities with using um, trauma-informed practices in our school systems, training doctors, nurses, social workers, anybody who basically works with somebody else, teachers, to look for trauma. Because mm-hmm. if we can do that, we don't need to go to therapy. We can find another way to heal because there's this thing called um, co-regulation, right? Mm-hmm. If someone is you see a kid who's acting out. I don't see the kid as a troublemaker. I'm going to be like, what happened? Mm-hmm. Is there trauma? Is the kid in pain? Is there some you know, psychosocial need that we're not providing them? Is the family in, in, in crisis? So like for me, again, we need to reframe it from blame and individual responsibility to collective responsibility like i I still don't understand why that's such a problem but i do understand people are like i don't want to pay for someone else's kid i understand that people have limited funds and then again again the perspective to me is when you help someone grow it's exponential you get to help generations from stopping that trauma from stopping the pain from happening again so we don't impact each other in in negative ways because people do bit by bit, we act out on each other. So mm-hmm. instead of like always thinking about tra- therapy is the only option, I think of it as like a multiple possibility of approach where you can go to workshops, therapists, again, and here's the problem with access to information and resources. Therapists are having workshops and groups all the time. But we don't know about them. Mm-hmm. So I offer this question to therapists. How can you find a way to show people that really need the help what you can offer them because mm-hmm. it's not reaching the right people. Mm-hmm. So to me, it's like I've seen Gottman therapists offer free trainings on relationship skills because for me, relationships are number one. You know, like if we can learn to deal with working through conflicts and, and letting go of the things that we can't fix, that's mm-hmm. a huge part of it, right? So I mm-hmm. uh, did Gottman level one training, and one of the numbers that stuck out to me is 69% of the problems that people have are unfixable. Like that's huge. So you have to know when to let things go. Like, can you accept it or can you Mm -hmm. move on? You know, Mm -hmm. and and that's the the data and the information that would help other people move on too in terms of relationship help, health, which kind of trickles into mental health, relationship, Mm -hmm. family systems, everything. Relationship wise, it is the core of how we 
deal with our own individual growth or how we impact the, the growth or the mental wellness of other people. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. There's so much that would need to shift and change and begin to be recognized, whether it is not just from the situations to even that we have to let go of. And sometimes that even includes toxic family members, too. And it's not that we don't love them, not that we don't want to honor them. But right now, they're actually proving to be the thing that is the weight stone dragging us down. When you mention family, I think about the shame, right? Or like Mm -hmm. you don't want to talk about your family in therapy to some stranger and I'm mm-hmm. thinking, what other place are you going to talk about your family? Mm-hmm, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. <laughs> a, a therapist takes this code, you know, they don't talk about it unless they have to consult, but they don't reveal the information. It's when I took my oath, when I graduated, it meant something to me. Like it mm-hmm. means so much to honor a code of ethics, like do no harm. You know, when you feel, when you feel like archetype, a superhero, when you graduate as a helper in any field that you choose to be a helper in, like I take that to my identity. If mm-hmm. I do something that kind of tarnishes or questions and ethics, I have to do my personal work to make sure I am on point to serve my, my communities. If mm-hmm. I don't do that, I don't deserve to be a helper. You know, so like that's how I feel. That's I'm hoping how most or all helpers feel as well. When you take that oath, you look at your code of ethics you make sure that people feel protected and safe enough to share what they need to share. And I think that's one of the myths of therapy too. Um, when they go, they don't really know what to talk about. Mm-hmm. So I'm hoping that in the beginning, so this is something you can ask your therapist to be more informed as a consumer because you're consuming mm-hmm. a service to know what therapy could look like. So I mm-hmm. recommend people to just Google videos, YouTube videos of what a therapy um, situation might look like and that it is slow in the beginning. You can Mm -hmm. dump all your trauma that you want, but realistically, they can't really touch it and start fixing it until you gain that trust and that Mm. motivation to change and let go. It's so layered and complex that, you know, learning about the stages of change will help. So go Google that too. see where you're at and different things about your life. Okay. And I think that because of that, people may have a misconception of what therapy looks like. And to me, it's just, please find a good fit therapist Mm -hmm. or helper that speaks your language when you call them 15, 20 minutes that they explain the process to you and -hmm. what it could look like. And if you understand a little bit, that it's a good sign to to give it a try. And you might have to shop around. Yep. And that is some of the best advice I can, we can share. So Booney, I want to thank you for being on here. Where can people find you to be able to connect with you? Uh, I have a YouTube channel, um, Organized Messes. I have an Instagram, Organized Messes, and my website is Organized Messes. Okay, and we'll have those in the show notes as well. So thank you again for being on Untying Knots, Minds and Souls Untethered, and see you on WOW. (laughs) See you on WOW. Bye, everybody. All right, bye. Thank you for tuning in for Untying Knots, Minds and Souls Untethered. Be sure to join your host, Perry Clark, for another episode on the podcast coming soon on the Voice America Empowerment Channel. 